morning, church. It's good to see you today. We're glad you're in this place. We hope so far you've, uh, you've been blessed and been a blessing to someone else, right, uh, here. Uh, we are, and if you're just joining us now, uh, maybe the first time, we're glad you're here. Maybe gone a couple weeks, and so you're going to catch up on uh, the end of this series. We're wrapping up the third week of the series. It's entitled Heart, Mind, and Soul. And we've been looking at the inside view of us and what needs to happen on the inside. Because we are wired as humans to look at the outside, right? I mean, that's what we do. I saw a car this last week, and I was... <laughs> Forgive me. Okay, I'm laughing because it might not be funny to you. It's funny to me, so laugh with me, all right? I was driving, and I look over at this car, and it didn't have a hood, okay? Like, it didn't have a hood. And now I know, like, there's, like, the hot rod cars. You don't put the hood on as you're getting the work done. And break. This is not a hot rod car, okay? It's not a hot rod car. This was one of those smart cars, you know, the smart cars. The funny part is, if you know about a smart car, is that the engine's in the back, right? It's not in the front. So it didn't have a hood on the front, but it had groceries in the front, right? So it was like, this is where my mind goes, this is open, right? It, it was like a, a bike with the baskets on the front, is what it kind of reminded me of, right? But someone's driving it inside, and if you've ever been in a smart car, I test drove one one time because I thought it'd be fun, and my son was in the front, and there's only two seats, so you have to put little kids in the front, there's no other option. And he said, this is really fast, Dad. And it was like 25 miles an hour. It's all the faster run. It felt like a go-kart, right? And so I look over this car. That's my experiences. And I look over, and the groceries are in the front, and things are just flapping around. And it was this guy who I, I, I know that guy because I am that guy many times. Like you get grocery, pick up grocery lists for your wife because you're being helpful. Like that's what you can do. You can bring that to the table. And I just saw in the front as he's going down the road. Sorry. Is that I'm over. And I, I slowed down to drive with him at the same speed because I'm like, I want to observe this, okay? Yeah, I get, this is good sermon material. And the groceries are, the groceries are kind of flapping around. The bags are flying, like this kind of deal. And like there's things blowing around inside, but they're all staying in the little trunk compartment, right? And I just thought when he pulls up, his wife's going to see the groceries in the front and be like, seriously? Like, where, I don't know if there's bags even left. I think the bags went and the groceries have been thrown in there. Now, my judgment of that guy right off the bat was, uh, where's your hood? Okay, like that was my first thought. And secondly, I thought, um, but he was dedicated, right? Like, he's going to go get groceries with his smart car, and it's, everyone can see what you bought, right? Like, it was one of those moments. So I said that we were wired to see on the outside. And I, don't get me wrong, I'm driving next to him in a Nissan Sentra, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I got like a manly car, okay? Like, I had a manly car in this experience, which is not a manly car. We're wired to judge on the outside, to see things from the outside, right? And in Scripture, the beautiful thing is God sees us from the inside out. Now, for us, that can be a scary thing because you know as well as I do, there's things that are inside me sometimes. I'm like, man, thank the Lord that you can't see those things, right? You can't see what I'm thinking or the feeling that I have towards something or a situation or somebody or those kind of things. But God sees it that way. And it can be scary to us, but the, re the redeeming part of it, the freeing part of it, is that God goes, you know what? It doesn't matter how bad your hair day is. It doesn't matter whether your shoes really shine or even socks match, right? If you know middle school, high school kids now, it's the thing to not wear matching socks. Did you, did you know that? Double the cost in sock purchasing, okay? Double the cost. And so, so in that is that God doesn't care about that. What he's looking at is, is what's on the inside. And that's what we've been navigating through for this last, the last couple weeks. And as we see that today, we're going to talk about the soul, right? The soul is one of those things that you go, if you've ever asked or been asked, what is your soul? You say, that's what goes to heaven or to hell after you die, 
right? That's what one would say, which is, which is true. But can I say that that's a, like a 5% answer to a, like a million dollar question, right? Because it seems as though with that response, we're talking merely eternity, only eternity, and not as though eternity begins now when you walk with Jesus. And so when we talk about our soul today, I want you to see this as we start, is that our soul has an appetite for God. It has an appetite for God. And you go, I, I don't know if I really, uh, about an appetite, right? But your soul does have an appetite for God. In, in Psalm 84, it tells us this. So let's pick up this scripture. It says this. We're rolling this morning. It's coming. There we go. Got it. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living what? Living God. Is that every soul, every soul, hear this, even those who are far from God, their heart, their soul, at the deepest of level, they actually, just like those who are followers of Christ, their soul has an appetite for God. Now you hear that word appetite, and right away for you and me, I use this word, you ready? You probably can say it together, food, right? I think of appetite. Uh, I think of food. Here's a picture of something that me and my family, it's distant from our table, but have you ever had a low country boil before? Have you, have you ever had that? Right? Somebody like, one guy that saw us this morning goes, it looks like pig slop. Like somebody just threw all this stuff like extra onto the plate. If you've never had a low country boil, let me whet your appetite this morning, right? What you do is you get this big silver pot, right? And you fill it with sausage and shrimp and corn on the cob and potatoes and whatever else, onions, whatever else you want to put in there, and you just boil it all together, right? And you use bay seasoning. If you don't know what bay seasoning is, I don't know what the even purpose of it in any other way is, except for low country boil. It doesn't really have a lot of flavor. It's just kind of peppery and weird, and you dump it in there and you let it boil together. But the beauty of it is, it's not just the food that's in the pot and it boils. It's the way you eat it when you're done, right, when it's time. As you take the pot, you strain the water off, and you dump it into the middle of the table, right? Now, if you go to restaurants that have low country boil, they, we're not this redneck at the Bruns house, right? But they lay out newspaper and just throw it on top of the newspaper. And you just have at it, right? Like there's, there, and the best part is, is when you have at it, there's big bowls of melted butter. Completely every cardiologist says it's good, okay, right? And you just take the food and you dip it in the butter and you just eat it and you're just messy. It's one of those places where you don't have napkins. You have a paper towel roll on a, on a, on a metal pole, right? And you pull it off and you just wet, wipe, wipe it down. When I think of appetite and satisfying my, in my stomach's appetite, that's what I think of. We've done this a few times with our kids, and you got it's beautiful when you have little kids because there's no like manners required, right? There, there's no, like, you know it's going to be a mess, and the adults look just as buttery and nasty as everyone else. And then when you get done, maybe you've had this feeling before, like you do at Thanksgiving, you get done eating and you go like this. <sighs> you have that feeling before, right? Not the feeling you're going to die, but close. Like it's close. And your stomach is somewhere up into here, but you're still looking at the food going, I could, I could eat a little more, right? I, I, could, I could do a little bit more. I, I could make this happen. I, I'm going to eat more, right? And then you go back for more and you continue filling up. See, here's the interesting thing. For me, when I think of my appetite for God spiritually, if it's in relation to the comparing to food, it's like that is that our appetite for God is something that you fill up, but it's not really every fully satisfied, right? It's something that God continues to work in and through us, and that is what happens. That is the meaning of our soul. 
is that Jesus came to die for souls. I want you to hear this. He did not come to die for men and women and children. He came to die for the souls of men, women, and children. And you say, why is that important? Well, this is why it's important. It's because when you look around to the people in your neighborhood, in your community, your workplace, across the globe, we see the what? The outside. We see the difference in culture. You go, I don't know why they wear those long earrings and dance that dance. I don't do that, right? I tell you what they do have. They do have a soul. And Jesus came to die for that soul. And they look at you from the Western culture that's maybe in the United States and you're all prim and proper, driving your little smart car with no hood packed with groceries. And, and it's not that. It's the soul which is in you. It's who God has created you to be. And our soul hungers and thirsts and longs, longs for God. Our, we have an appetite for God. And so this morning as we see this, we need to know that as we eat, as we partake of who God is, and our soul, our soul is, is fulfilled. We need to know that God will satisfy and sustain with our souls. He does. That is his hope, desire, and dream to satisfy our soul. He wants us to have satisfaction and sustainability in him and only him. Now, you know as well as I do, how many of you love when you get the, like the text, you get it, or like a, a text deal now, um, for like sales at a, at a store? Do you guys get those push notifications, right? I get push notifications for stores that I'll be honest with you, I don't know if we've ever shopped there before, to be fair. The one that I love the most, me and my wife get, is from the thrift store, okay? You know we've gone way wrong when the thrift store has sales, Okay, does that, does that make sense, right? What that means is if someone gave it to the thrift store, they marked it, <laughs> marked it at a price, and now they need to get rid of it, right? Get rid of it. And there's times that that thing comes through, and I go, man, 50% off, $3 shirts. That's a buck fifty. I could get two, right? I could get two. And now in some weird way, my heart and mind begins going, man, what could we get for a dollar, Right? Like, what can we do there? And you're like, what's the big deal of a dollar? Because little by little, it might not be the thrift store for you, but it might be the game that you flip on on Saturday. You schedule your life around kickoff. It's happening this fall, right? Do you know 11 o'clock service dips in attendance when the Chiefs kick off at 12 o'clock? Did you know that? And I'm not throwing stones, I'm just throwing it out there to you. We go, what satisfies our soul? Is it the text in the thrift store sale? Is it the kickoff of the chiefs? Is it something else? But the reality of it is God desires to sustain us and to satisfy us. See, Psalm 62.1 says this to us. It says, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. We want to define satisfaction and sustenance understand the true rest in God and the salvation that he offers to the souls of all man, all mankind. You see, as we read that passage, it's interesting that the soul rest that comes from this connect, comes from a connection with God, our soul's connection with him. And that happens for us in a continual path when we say yes to being a child of God. You see, you can turn in your Bibles or devices if you want to Matthew chapter 16 this morning. We're going to read one verse there, but it's a big verse when we talk about our soul. Is that Jesus really lays out in conversation with a few people more of two questions, rhetorical questions that have answers, but he doesn't give a straight answer yet in it. We're just looking at the question. And in Matthew 16 verse 26, it tells us this. It says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul, right? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their what? Their soul. 
Now, now notice, that seems like one of those things that you would get like uh, on some wrapper, like, like a, a question you're supposed to talk about at the table, a card that you get at a dinner party, and it's supposed to be the deep theological question of the night as you sip wine and smoke cigars with deep thinkers, right? Like that's what you do there. The reality of it is this is a question that Jesus is posing, and he poses it not just to the people there, but to us today is that it sets the table for our understanding of the soul. That These two questions set the table for us to understand more deeply what is our soul and what is the purpose of it in relationship with God. See, there's one phrase there that jumps out to me is gain the world, right? What good will it be for someone to forfeit their soul and gain the world? Now, now for some of you, you I don't know about you, I always thought it would be great to own an island, like, I think that'd be great. Like, just an island. Not like Gilligan's Island where everyone's stuck, right? If that'd be okay, but I get to choose the people that come with me, not random people on a plane. But, but I have an island, right? And you just call it yours, and you dictate who comes and goes. You make your, let's be fair, you would all would be the dictator. You wouldn't be democratic. Like, you would just put yourself in charge. And you'd say, I own my space. Owning the world here in the scripture is not about the space or the amount that you own. It's the pursuit of your soul. It's the pursuit of your soul. In other words, what is our soul pursuing? Where are we finding satisfaction and sustainability? And is it in the things of this world or is it in God? You see, I think about the pursuit and, or the pursuit of the world is for some of us we can go, you know what, it's, we've seen it happen. It's the pursuit of work and career, right? Is that it's just if we just got that one promotion, it would make things just a little less, well, we'd be a little more calm, Right? It'd be a little bit better, a little bit more greenbacks in the bank. And let's be fair, if you've ever gotten a raise, do you really save more or you just expand your livelihood of what you do, right? Or maybe for some, the, the pursuit of the world, hear this, hear this, is in your family. Is that maybe it's a mom-child relationship. Maybe it's a husband-wife relationship. Maybe it's a dad-child relationship. That it seems to be the one that you pursue to fill that soul, to fill that vacancy, to give you a a feeling of peace and growth in your life. All the while we miss the fact that our, our, our spouse or our child or our mom or our dad or our coworker is never meant to be the focal point of our soul's pursuit, but rather a blessing from God to demonstrate who God is and what he has in store for us. You see, the other phrase that jumps out to me is forfeit the soul, right? Forfeit the soul. I find it interesting the word exchange is in there, right? If we keep that scripture back on the screen again, we'll, we'll take a look. It says, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul, right? How they forfeit their soul. Here's the beautiful, here's the interesting thing. Is that this exchange for the soul, sometimes we can look at it as transactional. Is what are we giving up so that we can pursue God? Here's the interesting thing. There's nothing you can give up enough to have a deep enough relationship with God. Did you know that? And there's nothing that you can earn back to have a relationship with God. And this is really a rhetorical question that caused the religious leaders of the day when Jesus speaks this some deep, deep quandary, right? Wait, so what do I have to give up to follow Jesus, right? And can you hear this? There's some things in our life that we do need to give to God so we can pursue Jesus fully. But hear this also. God never in Scripture said you give up this, 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 and now you're ready to come follow me. But rather, come to me as you are, and I will shape your, I'll shape your soul. So this word exchange isn't transactional of what we're giving up, but rather it's about what it is that we can't possess ourselves, what we can't give up, what we can't earn. 
Rather, what it is is positioning our soul to pursue Jesus, pursue God. See, your soul and my soul has eternal value. It has eternal value. Now, I want to talk about that real quick a second. It's because the exchanging of this soul on this side of eternity has eternal consequence. We need to be honest in that, right? Is that the question that you usually get as a pastor at least one time in life, right, is when is it too late for people to say yes to Jesus, right? And my, I used to, like, give a really good answer to that, right? Jesus can save you to your last breath, okay, right? Which is true, it's, it's true, right? But, but, uh, but to be fair in that, to be fair in that, usually the people that ask that is because they're wanting to know how much life can I live with my soul being in exchange for the world, before I have to give it up to Jesus. Now, can we just be real honest in that? How many of you have ever went to Worlds of Fun before? You ever been to Worlds of Fun? How many of you ever rode a roller coaster just anywhere? Like, if you're like, I'm anti-Worlds of Fun, that's fine, okay? Six Flags, ever rode a roller coaster? If you've ever ridden a roller coaster, you know you have to wait in line for an extended period of time to get on that roller coaster, right? Like, and you get on the roller coaster. I remember one time a few years ago, we took middle school kids on this roller coaster, went to uh, Worlds of Fun on a roller coaster, and I sat next to the little kid who's in sixth grade, probably 60 pounds soaking wet, right? And we went on the one roller coaster that was the biggest of all, right? Like I, um, at, at Worlds of Fun. We get there, and it's the click, 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 up to the top. And if you know me, heights are not my friend, Okay. We're looking over the side. Our 15-passenger van didn't even look like a micro machine, all right? It is down there low, and he's by the rail side. I'm by the open side. I'm trying to look this way, not vomit on him, yet console him because he's white-knuckling, and I'm thinking, you should be scared. We're going to die, okay? That's what's going to happen. There's no consolation here. Click, 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 click. We get to the top, and we're halfway back in the car, and I remember hearing, you, hear, you know how it is. Ah! You hear the people in front of you until your voice is, ah! like you're with them. And you're heading down the roller coaster, and you're not really sitting in the seat, but you think, this isn't safe. Like, there's not even a seat belt. It's a silver bar that wiggles, right? It wiggles. And the little kid that's sitting next to me, his waist is this much less than mine. And so he's like flopping around, and I'm thinking to myself, if he goes out of the car, that's a tough thing to explain, okay? That's a tough thing to explain. We paid to do this even, okay? We paid to do this. And we get down the roller coaster, and we go around the side, and we come back around. And there's a college kid that went with us as a sponsor. And he had never been on a roller coaster before. But we went on the Mamba first, right? <laughs> if you're going to jump in, baptism by fire, two feet in, do it, right? He gets off walking. He looks like he's dead, all right? Ghostly white. <laughs> like, I'm afraid he's going down. I'm like, you all right, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, he's not good. Like, this is not good. We made it around the corner, around the corner, and he just lets loose, right? And middle school boy that's sitting next to me goes like this. Dude, I don't think he's very tough. That's what he said, right? <laughs> I remember looking at Blake thinking, dude, you screamed like a two-year-old girl up there just a minute ago just because you didn't lose it, right? You say, what does that have to do with exchanging my soul? We live life sometimes just wanting to know if we can stand in line, Right? And we go, I get the ride, and it looks dangerous. Like, I don't even know who's, why they're screaming over the top. I've seen people vomit on the other side. I've seen people vomit and get back in line again. they got to be nuts. But can I tell you, that's what, God, what Jesus says here in no such words. 
when he says, what is it that you do to forfeit your soul? The way we forfeit our soul is by standing and observing what God is doing in his kingdom, all the while knowing that we're supposed to be in. You see, after that ride, we went on a few others, and the poor college kid, man, he's trying to eat food. Like, now he's spending like 80 bucks, you know, on food at the, at the, at the theme park. It's like a sale. McDonald's, $29.95, right? Like for a Big Mac. He's trying to eat food to feel better. He gets back. He's like, I'm feeling a little better. I'm like, okay. We get on the wooden roller coaster, the one that's on the ground where it's really fast whipping around. If you've ever not been there, you need to give it a go because, like, it's not real high, which I was a big fan of, right? But there is this idea of, like, just slamming your brain in the inside of your head for about, uh, feels like an eternity, probably four minutes tops, right? And at that railing, where that railing is at, he gets off the ride and gets off the wooden railing, which is about a two-story drop down, if I remember right, like, off the side. And what happens? He's like, that was fun. He lost it all again. But you know what I said to him, man? I said, dude, thanks for being a champ, right? Thanks for riding the ride. Like, thanks for giving it a go. And I want you to know that this morning, that I think God has the same attitude towards us, is that he has a place, he places value on your involvement and your soul in eternity more than we can imagine. Because look what 2 Peter 3.9 tells us. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Do you get that? My slowness is the electric car that goes by with groceries in the front for 125. This is really fast. No, it's not fast. Like, you look weird, okay? Like, you look weird in that. That's not slow to God is not about speed, as some understand. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you hear that? Is that his pursuit of your soul and he, the desire for you to connect with him. He's not doing this. Come on. Come on. Now, can we confess? We're doing this. Come on. Right? When are you going to grow up? When are you going to take responsibility for your actions? When are you going to act like a man? When are you, when, when are you? And God, in the pursuit of our soul, says, you know what I want? I want you to come repent to me, and I'll take care of the muck and the mire. I will connect with your soul in a way that you've never seen before. More than any sale at the thrift store. More, more so than any football game or sporting event. More than a ticketed event. More than any roller coaster that you could ride. He says, I will pursue you, and he will do it at his pace, and he waits patiently for you. See, God, God desires all mankind to assume his value of their soul. He's not asking you to create your own value. And if you are starting, if you've valued or placed value on your soul outside of God's value, a different value than what Scripture teaches, I want to let you know you've sold it short. Is it the value that God's placed on my soul and your soul? Not in an arrogant way. It's a confident way. Notice what the, the second Peter told us. His promises, he, he, he holds true. And if our value in our soul has been lessened, it can be lessened by the, what other people have said. It can be lessened by what you've heard, what you've read, what you've been told, what you've bought into that was a lie or just through mere conversation. It can make life tough, Right? is that you begin going, I don't know why I should really get on the roller coaster and ride because, quite frankly, I'm not that important, okay? What you do is not overly as important. What's more important is who you believe you are in Christ, who you believe your soul is meant to be owned by. So today I want to take, give you, if you have not written anything down yet, I want you to write these three things down, very simple today. 
How is it that we find our value? How do we keep our value and keep our soul at the value of God? The first one is this. Eliminate the storyline. Eliminate the storyline. And not God's storyline, but the one that you've written in some way. The one that someone else has written for you. That you believe, that you read. How many of you like little children's books, right? Kids' books are great. I like the ones, but be fair, parents, when your kids bring the books to you and you open it up and there's this many words at the bottom of the page, right? At 9 o'clock at night, what do you say? Can you get another book? Like, get a different book, right? Like, because we don't want to read for 45 minutes. Why? Because it's long. And then your kids get to an age where they want to read and you're supposed to listen. More so, less words, better, right? Especially late at night. And they bring you a book, and at the bottom of the book, it's, at the bottom of the book, there's a picture, and there's like six words. And the six words just basically describe the picture at the top. I want you to hear this, that God's story that he writes for our soul, I believe, is more like the children's book with a picture and statements below than it is a long dissertation of a chapter book that's volumes thick. And the reason why is because it's written as we go along with the truths are at the bottom of the page. And the picture that's above on all of the pages is Jesus hanging on the cross with a slide between it and then Jesus raising on the third day. That is the story we need to hear. That is the value of our soul. Are those two events in, in history and in scripture that are undoubtedly true? How else do we find our value or keep our value? Number two, worship. Worship. Now, now, be careful, it's not, uh, we're assuming you're worshiping God, right? The pursuit of God. Worship God. See, Psalm uh, 103 tells us this. It says, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, right? If we're going to ask God to take ownership of our soul and guide and direct us and, just and help us understand the value of our soul, we need to be worshiping the right entity. We need to be worshiping him. Because the more we worship him, the more we understand how much he loves us and the value he's placed on our soul. Now, number three might be the dumbest thing you've ever heard on this screen. Repeat. Okay? Repeat. Go back to number one and go back to number two. Because the reality of it is, is if the old saying is, if it's good, it's better, it's good to do it more than once. Right? If it's good for you, then we repeat it. Hear the story that God has told us about the value of our soul through Jesus Christ and worship him and pursue him in a way that determines that you are saying, well, undoubtedly, God, I will allow you to place the value on my soul, not the person across the street, not the person in the cubicle down the way, not my spouse, not my dad, not my grandma, not even the person I do not know, but they sure don't like my posts on Facebook, right? And some of you are laughing, but it's true, right? Do you notice something? I was to tell you, this is off, this is not even in the notes, it's free, okay? My wife can post pictures about something or someone, and she gets like a hundred and some likes. Did you know that? She's, I don't even know, I don't know how that works. Like, she posts a picture of our kids and says some saying, and people are like, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever said, or ever seen. I can say the same thing, and one person's like, you misspelled something, Nate, okay? <laughs> All right? Can I, can, I tell you, can I tell you this? Can I tell you why that is? Why it is? It's because she has something to say. Does that make sense? Like, none of us need to take pictures of our dinner. That's dumb. No one cares about your dinner, all right? And more importantly, no one cares about your cat. That's a guaranteed fact, right? And that's what most of the pictures are. So as the band comes, we close with this. How do we keep our value and find our value with our soul? Eliminate the storyline. Eliminate the negative storyline. Worship God. For some of you, this fall is a reset button. 
You've done the summer trips. You've done the summer travel. You've done the summer go to the lake deal. But you have kids getting back into school right now. If you have kids, fall is a reset button, right? It's a time to redo your schedule. I want you to really prayerfully commit. What does it look like to come and worship on a weekly basis? Not because I want you to come hear what I have to say, because quite frankly, I'm not that important. You get that. But what the Holy Spirit has to say in regards to being around one another and speaking and hearing from God, it will help shape and mold the value of our soul. And as you do that, you begin to repeat it again and again. You see, when we establish our soul's value in God and not our own life's perspective, we begin understanding more clearly what Jesus is saying in Matthew. What value is it to forfeit life, forfeit your soul, and gain the world? What value is it? In the moment, let's be fair, it can seem like it's a good idea. But in the long term, the longer you live life, the less the world tends to matter, except those who are far from God and those who are close to God. And you say, we need to figure out how to help those who are far from God. Far from God. See how God values their soul. Will you stand with us as we sing? Father, we come to you. And Lord, let our souls be renewed by your word. Let our souls be renewed by by singing here in this place. Let our souls be renewed as we prepare to take communion here in a few moments. God, let us understand the value of our soul that that you've placed on it. Not a pastor, not a preacher, not a teacher, not a spouse, but you. And Father, let us deeply understand that more on a daily basis. Let it change the way we understand and have relationship with you. Let it change the way we live and the, more importantly, the way we view, and just as importantly, the way we view others. God, we thank you for the time you give us to gather. We hear our worship in this moment. In your son's name I pray. Church said.